0: Hello everyone. Welcome to the Star Family Wisdom Podcast. I'm Jenna Layden, the founder of Star Family Wisdom and a former global vice president for Whole Foods Market. Thank you so much for joining us. If you are new, welcome. If you have tuned in before, thank you for coming back. Star Family Wisdom is a paradigm-shifting podcast, community, and online school for your spiritual and cosmic evolution. And if you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe and share with your friends. If you are on one of the podcast apps, please review and leave a comment. Let us know what resonates with you and what you want to hear more of. We love to connect with you and hear about your stories as well. And on this podcast, we intend to share conversations, ideas, and information that will inspire you and support you on this wild journey of being human. We're going to explore ancient clues about our untold human story, real-life supernatural experiences, lost knowledge from the stars, and spiritual wisdom that empowers you to transform your life for the better. And at Star Family Wisdom, we are experiencers of supernatural phenomena and ET contact and it's important to us that we have open, mature and fun conversations about what is possible and how we are evolving as humans. And today's episode is a solo episode it's just me. If you have tuned in before, you have heard our co-host Sinead Wellahan. But today I'll be discussing some of Paul Wallace's work. And this episode is all about evolving our understanding of the human experience by examining our origin stories. And Paul's work is encompassing so many origin stories and the analysis and study of those origin stories. And today we'll specifically be talking about his book, Escaping from Eden. Paul Anthony Wallace is an internationally best-selling author whose books probe world mythologies and ancestral narratives for their insights into our origins and our potential and our place in the cosmos, which is right up our alley here at Star Family Wisdom. As a senior churchman, Paul served as a church doctor and a theological educator and an archdeacon in the Anglican Church in Australia. And he has published numerous titles on Christian mysticism and spirituality. And he's a popular speaker at summits and conferences around the world. And his 2020 book, Escaping from Eden, was hailed by George Norrie as this generation's chariots of the gods, propelling Paul onto the international stage as the go to guy in the field of paleo contact. The internationally best selling 2021 sequel, The Scars of Eden is endorsed by Eric Von Daniken and his newest book Echoes of Eden endorsed by George Norrie is due for release this year in May next month. And in collaboration with the fifth kind TV, Paul's interviews and documentaries are watched by millions worldwide. So Paul is changing the game with his information and his take on what has happened in our human history. And Paul's book, Escaping Eden, postulates that the Genesis story is actually a story about humans being engineered by ETs. So does Genesis teach that the human race was created by God or engineered by ETs? Let's get into it. So Paul states that the first problem with our modern translation of the Bible is centered around the word Elohim. Elohim has been read as a singular noun to indicate a powerful God in many of our biblical translations. But Paul argues that the word Elohim should actually be translated as a plural noun, which changes the translation to mean the powerful ones. Paul goes on in his theories to and examine how this translation can also be thought of as sky people. And he argues that the word Elohim should be translated as a plural noun in our reading of the Bible. And this really calls into question whether we were created in the image of one powerful almighty God, or whether we were created in the image of the powerful ones. As Paul furthers his new translation of the Bible using the plural Elohim, he discovers that it appears as the powerful ones engineered an enclosed zone called Eden a place where the modern Homo sapien could live and work. So the powerful ones start by engineering the male human to be workers for them in their new civilization of earth. But over time, it appears as though the males are depressed in this garden of Eden. So along comes the newly engineered Eve, the woman creation. So We're already hearing, you know, at the beginning of this story with this new translation using the plural Elohim, that we may have a group of powerful beings engineering humans and putting them in an enclosed zone called Eden. Another interesting point about this new plural translation is that in the beginning the earth was shrouded in darkness. We hear this in many of our origin stories. And it appears as though from these early parts of the Bible and many other ancient texts that the earth was not habitable or suitable for human life. And as the story unfolds, it appears as though the powerful ones may have terraformed our earth to be suitable for human life. You hear lots of depiction in these ancient texts about how the earth was formed and how vegetation, plant life, animal life came to be. And, you know, I think it's interesting to just note here that from many, many case studies of past life regression research we can now point to the fact that it appears we have a hierarchy of beings in our universe. So, you know, there could be many people who already, you know, feel that this new translation, you know, calls into question our very notion of God, right? And the creator of our universe. But It appears to me through my understanding and and research, you know, of past life regression cases that we may have, you know, an ultimate creator of our universe, but we also might have some more highly evolved beings acting as world creators, right? Or galaxy creators. And they may be, you know, these highly evolved scientifically and spiritually evolved beings, Terraforming planets and contributing to the continual act of creation and evolution in our universe. So, you know, it's not unlikely to me that we have a God who created this universe, but we also have many other beings participating in the ongoing process of creation. And, you know, I pause here to make that note because I should also note that in my past life regression, I accessed information about this. And It was in preparation for this episode and in understanding that Paul wrote his book in 2020 that I'm now seeing the connection between my regression and this information. My regression was conducted back in 2020. And at the time I was not yet teaching publicly and I wasn't even comfortable yet using words like divine or creator. Like that just wasn't even like in my lexicon back then. That was only two years ago. And I'm going to quote a few things that came from that regression. And in a regression like this one, you access a deep state of consciousness. You access the theta and delta brainwave states. This is the channeling state. So this is where you can not only access your own past life memories, but you can access the guidance of your higher self or your oversoul or your subconscious. When you get into this channeling state, this altered state of consciousness, it opens up your ability to perceive more information, to pull information from the field and in my past life regression we not only accessed past life memories and the guidance of my subconscious but other beings also channeled through me and these are beings with whom i have a soul bond beings who operate in a higher dimension and who are et okay so it took me a while to you know process this and understand that that's what happened But they spoke through me to clarify questions I had around strange occurrences in my life and things that I was suspecting were ET contact at the time. So, again, we get into this regressed state, this altered state of consciousness. We can access memories that extend beyond our current life. We can access information beyond ourselves. We can even access telepathic channels with other beings. Okay. So I want to read a short passage from that regression, and we'll cut it in here so you can listen to the audio as well. But again, this was prior to me reading this book. This was prior to me having, you know, developed an understanding of these things. And at the time, when listening back to the recording of this regression, it seemed a little out there and startling that I would say this, okay? So it starts with something I'm saying. So me, Jenna, but there's been a misunderstanding. There's been a misunderstanding about our creators versus the creator. And there's fear about that. And we don't need to be fearful. Therapist, what are we fearful of? Jenna, we are fearful of not being powerful and not being the greatest because we were once greater, but we just haven't known but we're ready now. Therapist, that's good, correct? Jenna, mm mm-hmm, it's important.
1: Is there a particular mission that she is supposed to accomplish in this life? To bring back the knowledge. What knowledge is she supposed to bring back? Some of what was lost and to help share. What knowledge was that? The knowledge of who we are and where we came from. Who are we and where did we come from? We are all divine. But we once were greater. This is not who we are. Where did we come from? We came from the stars. Say again. We came from the stars. Which stars do we come from? So many of them. Okay. So no one in particular star, is that correct? mm hmm Okay. But you say we're all divine, is that correct? mm hmm How are we divine? We are all from the same source and we are all part of this creation. But there's been a misunderstanding. What was the misunderstanding? There's been a misunderstanding about our creators versus the creator. And there's fear about that. And we don't need to be fearful. What are we fearful of? We're fearful of not being powerful and not being the greatest. Because we were once greater, but we just haven't known. Okay. But we're ready now. Back
0: to Paul's book. His plural translation of Elohim and its corresponding new translation of the biblical story, corroborate what came out of my mouth during my regression, (laughs) that there has been a misunderstanding about our creators versus the creator. And I find this synchronicity astonishing and beautiful. And it was in preparation for this episode that I even realized this synchronicity was occurring. And I even remembered that I said this in my regression. And it's through these sorts of synchronistic events and corroborative moments that you know, tells me we are experiencing an evolution of human consciousness that cannot be stopped. So I share that with you because I think that's just, you know, one extra, you know, piece of information that helps to connect the dots across a very vast set of information that we can now use to reframe our understanding of ourselves and our understanding of what is possible for our human experience. So Paul then goes on to talk about these newly formed humans, and they eventually find themselves in contact with and speaking to a snake. And this snake is described in Job 1.6 as one of the Elohim. However, so far in this story of the Elohim, they don't seem to be too kind to the human race. Like one of the crew, Yahweh, even seems to be a bit violent and angry, but this Elohim, the snake, is different. And the snake shows humans how they can evolve their consciousness and reach a higher state of being. So, you know, the humans are obviously interested in this, right? They've been, it appears as though they've been somewhat suppressed since their, you know, creation, since they're coming into being. And we now have uh, one of the Elohim who is wanting to help evolve humans. We should also note that in many translations of the Bible, it appears as though there may be an all-out war among the powerful ones, and that what may have been referred to as God's heavenly council of angels, or what we all you know used to think of as the heavenly council of angels, were actually just warring and kind of deceitful ET beings who were engineering and holding humans hostage for their own self-serving plans. So I'll stop here and just share some of my own early thoughts on the Bible and Christianity because I struggled with the Bible and with um, the kind of the modern version of Christianity for many years. And, you know, it always seemed so odd to me that our God would be violent and angry and punishing. And that just doesn't seem right. Like what kind of horrible universe would we live in if that were the case? So fast forward now, you know, all these years, all of the experiences I've had, this research, it seems much more plausible to me that we had some angry ETs who were fighting over their human experiment. And, you know, when I first read the Bible, there were so many things that just seemed off, not only the angry God thing, but the fact that, you know, human beings seem to live for these really extended periods of time. There, you know, were A lot of anomalies, right, that just seemed really out there and fantastical to have been a true story, but that's framed within our context of what we think is possible and what we've been taught is possible. So Paul Wallace postulates that there are conflicting agendas among the powerful ones. And Paul finds that. The snake was exiled to earth to live among the humans, and I wonder if this could be the famed plumed serpent or Quetzalcoatl, one of the culture bringers noted in ancient indigenous myths, which we'll get to in a few minutes. And you know we should note here that among so many cultures there is a reference to culture bring- bringers showing up to offer the gifts and the trappings of civilization to teach architecture astronomy agricultural methods all of that. So it makes me wonder if you know this is a connection here. And Paul goes on to um, you know talk about in his study of this new translation using the plural Elohim that they take wives and children. And you might remember in our episode with Michael Carter, Reverend Michael J.S. Carter, that we talked about the fallen angels who mated with humans producing giants. And Paul also identifies that the biblical giants are the offspring of the Elohim and humans. And I should note that there is significant evidence for giants on earth. We have so many cases of human skeletons of gigantic proportion being found. And, you know, not to mention the plethora of depictions in our mythology, folklore and origin stories that, you know, talk about giants. We have, you know, buildings and megalithic structures all over our world that are of giant proportions. So clearly we did have giants on planet earth at one point. And the fact that that is still just relegated to our mythology and fantasy is to me somewhat silly because we have good evidence for it. So So Paul brings that evidence, you know, into this, you know, story and into his, you know, uh, explanation of this new translation. So then we get to the part of the story where the powerful ones, the Elohim, are arguing about the future of their creation and humans have evolved into a state that are not pleasing for one faction of the Elohim. So again, we've got these two different factions who have different ideas as to what the human creation should and could become. And essentially what you know appears to have happened is that humans have become too much like their creators, right? We were made in the image of our creators And we have taken on some of their power and abilities, and this is not so uh, pleasing for one faction of the Elohim. And so one faction of the Elohim, one of the guys in charge orders the great flood. And we know that the great flood was a real event that existed on earth about 12,000-ish years ago. We see this depicted in many of our mythologies, many indigenous, uh, origin stories, many of our spiritual texts are a combination of spiritual teachings, ancient history, and, um, and to some degree instruction for how we should be living. So, You know, we have woven into all of these stories a really interesting version of our human history that we can now say appears to be pretty true. But as this flood occurs, one of the powerful ones, who is Enlil in the Sumerian texts, attempts to save humans and notifies some humans of the impending disaster, which gives them time to move to safety. And we hear this corroborated in many other mythologies and stories around the world, that uh, while in the Bible, Noah is the hero of that story, right? Noah gets tipped off, Noah makes an ark, brings beings to safety, that is a story that is told world over. There were many Noahs. So lo and behold, humans survive. And, and so we have uh, an early you know, version of human history that is a bit traumatic here, right? Humans have been engineered by these ET beings, first for self-serving reasons. So humans can just be workers. Then humans get an ability to evolve and, you know, step into their spiritual power, become more powerful like the Elohim. Then human evolution has gotten to a state that, you know, could, one could argue was not ideal. You know, we could, you know, go all the way back to Atlantis stories here, but then human civilization has to restart because a a flood happens and the majority of human civilization is wiped out. So we already have a, a pretty rough start to human or, you know, somewhat modern human history. And, you know, I love Paul's analysis of the Sumerian texts as well and how the Sumerian stories really closely align with early biblical stories of our human origins. And he talks about how the Sumerian tablets include a king's list. And it shows that the dynasty that was concluded by the great flood was 241,000 years. And it was divided by eight kings. So this clearly is showing that the kings or the powerful ones who ruled over humans prior to the great flood were not bound by our current earthly lifespans. And I also love how Paul notes that this would be easy to dismiss, right? Like we could just dismiss this as an exaggeration of time. I used to, right? When I first found some of this information, you just chalk it up to being fantasy because that it does not align with our version of reality, right? We do not have humans living thousands of years. So, uh, you know, I love how Paul notes that even though this, you know, is easy to write off or brush aside or think of as just some fantastical mythology, he says, no, you know, the Sumerians were super precise People, We know this. There's well-documented evidence of their precision and maybe even obsession about mathematics and timekeeping. And they even invented a model for dividing time and space to give us seconds and minutes. So, you know, Paul says these were not lazy people. And it also appears as though there's a correlation between the length of the dynasties and the cycle of the procession of the equinoxes, which gives us the basis for a cyclical nature of time and the cyclical nature of the expansion and contraction of consciousness on earth. So if you are familiar with the procession of the equinoxes, you may be familiar with the cycle of the yugas. So in some of our, you know, Eastern traditions, the cycle of the yugas really explains this, what is thought to be a 24 to 26,000 year cycle that we go through here on earth. And that cycle relates to the cycle of the zodiac. It relates to the cycle of how, you know, the zodiac moves through the sky. And in our lifetimes, we won't see much movement, but during a 26,000 year period, that zodiac is going to completely rotate through the sky, right? The constellations we see are going to completely rotate through the sky. And that's the that's the procession of the equinoxes and the cycle of the yugas is based on that. And it breaks down that period of 26,000 years into smaller chunks of time that refer to our Iron Age, Bronze Age, Mental Age, Golden Age, so we can start to break down this larger cycle into smaller eras. And it's thought that the zodiac aligns with those eras and the transitioning of eras that occurs throughout that 26,000-year cycle. And because of how the earth wobbles, we, during part of this cycle, during part of the procession of the equinoxes, we are pointing towards one part of the universe or a galaxy. And during another part, we're pointing towards a different part of the universe and a different part of our galaxy. So that facilitates a different um, reception of energy that facilitates the ability for us to go through kind of a sleep cycle right? When we are pointed away from the center of the galaxy. But when we swing back around and we're pointed towards the center of the galaxy, we start to wake up. We start to have an expansion of consciousness. So we go through these periods of contracted consciousness and falling asleep. And then we go through periods of expanded consciousness and waking up, which is what we're going through right now. So we are coming out of one of those cycles where we've been pointed away from the center of the galaxy, we have not been in a position to have a full expanded state of consciousness, and we are now seeing that evolve on planet Earth. And it is thought by some researchers that this could explain how the Earth's orbit may be precisely aligned in a way to greet visitors at certain points during this cycle. So there's theories that there may actually be another planet in our solar system that just has a really wide orbit. So it you know, orbits so far out um, beyond our other planets that in our modern history, it's been outside of our view. Like we haven't even been able to see it. But this theory has developed because there appears to be some anomaly in some of the kind of gravitational pull that we experience in our solar system. Um, I'm not the foremost expert on that, so we won't get into that. But the theory is that perhaps this, you know, procession of the equinoxes and this, you know, cyclical nature of expanded and contracted consciousness may allow for these moments in history when we could receive visitors in an easier way. So, you know, it's not to be forgotten that the history depicted in the Sumerian texts where the kings and gods descended from the heavens to reign over and live among humans is also depicted in Egyptian mythology. And, and so, you know, we, we start to see in, this story that what we might have thought of as these really fantastical, um, you know, mythologies of these really long lifespans, these really long dynasties might have actually been facilitated by the fact that some of our ET brothers and sisters can have lifespans that long. And maybe some of their visitations happen to coincide with that procession of the equinox. And as Paul talks about the Sumerian texts and the dynasties of these kings and how long they lasted, right? We've got a over 200,000 year dynasty that has been split among multiple kings, and that means the average reign is like 30,000 years per king. He talks about the epic of Gilgamesh being a really interesting point in this story because Gilgamesh is a crossover king. So Gilgamesh was a hybrid between the sky people and the earth people. And it it seems as though he was almost installed to be like a transitionary leader, right? So just like we might have transitionary governments on earth, this may have been a leader who helped transition us humans out of the reign of the sky people and into a more kind of earth-based human-led or hybrid human-led um dynasty and and reign from that point forward and and you know there's some theories that point to that being because the sky people left the sky people departed and maybe that has to do with the procession of the equinoxes and how you know maybe for their level of technology and advancement there's a window of time where they could leave the earth and get to where they needed to go. So I find that a really interesting part of this story too, that we have this transition team that came into place when the sky people departed. So we should back up a moment and just talk about the kind of varying factions of Elohim and the powerful ones and, you know, these ET beings that were seeking to lead and control humans. And, Paul Wallace gives so many incredible examples of this, and he incorporates biblical text throughout his work so that you can read for yourself the texts that point to um, these theories. And one of those is Joshua 24:14. And And in this passage, Joshua is giving a speech to the people of Israel and basically asking them to entrust themselves to Yahweh. He says, now, therefore, follow Yahweh and serve him in sincerity and truth. Put away the Elohim, the powerful ones whom your ancestors served on the other side of the river and in Egypt and serve Yahweh. Today, make up your minds whom you mean to serve, the powerful ones whom your ancestors served beyond the river or the powerful ones of the Emirates in whose country you now live. But as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. So here we have another example of humans kind of being pulled between these different factions. And, you know, we hear in a lot of these stories, these escapes, right? We hear the story of people escaping Sumeria, which appears to be an escape from the sky people. And then, you know, we also hear stories of people escaping Egypt and and the Israelites, right, being led to freedom. So, so we have these very, Profound kind of retellings of this story that lead us to believe that, again, the early phase of humanity in our history wasn't so pretty in some cases. And now I want to switch over to, you know, a different text that Paul talks about as well, because he's not only focused on the Bible and the Sumerian texts, which are incredible to compare. There's a lot of, you know, corroborative accounts between the two, but he also studies the, the Popol Vuh, which is the Mayan account of the creation narrative. And in the Popol We have a shockingly similar account of the terraforming story in Genesis. We have a shockingly similar account of sky people assisting in the creation of humans and a subsequent rebuilding after the great flood and a guiding and informing the evolution of humanity by the sky people. So in the Popolva, there seems to be a lead character among the sky people or the gods. And Paul calls this guy the CEO. And he then calls the first officer the feathered serpent, who is also depicted in Inca tradition. So again, remember Quetzalcoatl, the plumed serpent, the feathered serpent, the story of the culture bringers. So in the Vuh, the first officer or the feathered serpent is involved in the upgrading of humanity, bringing culture to humanity. And Paul also talks about the Greek version of this story, and it's set between Zeus and Prometheus. And Zeus is the CEO in that story, and he orders the destruction of humanity. And Prometheus is the first officer who saves and nurtures humanity. So in multiple versions of this story, it appears as though the CEO, Inki in Sumerian texts, or Zeus in Greek, is ordering the lowering of human capacity, the lowering of human mental abilities, and in some cases, this big one case, ordering the destruction of humanity. And, you know, Paul also refers to an interesting account in the Zulu stories of a female god who came to help people first establish themselves. And in all of these stories, and in many others around the world, it appears that there's just this sudden springing forth of grains and agriculture at one point in history. At the same time, there's a sudden appearance of early settled human civilization. And at the same time, all of these accounts across cultures are referring to culture bringers who helped humans establish civilized society. And that point is what has been left out of our history books, right? We hear about the springing forth of grains and agriculture and human civilization finally moving from being, you know, a hunter-gatherer type of race to a more civilized agricultural race. But how did that happen? This is how it happened. And, you know, it seems like we've got a lot of coincidences here. And as Paul says, the coincidences add up. And... Another fun point that Paul makes about um, a famous biblical passage is that of Ezekiel. And you'll remember if you watched the episode with Michael J.S. Carter, we referred to this one too. And by the way, if you read Ezekiel with fresh eyes, which I did after, you know, having gone through some of this research, it seems pretty wild. So definitely go back and take a look at it again. Like, can you imagine living back in his day and seeing a fiery chariot, chariot descend from the clouds and some beings get out and they're like, hey, you want to get in? <laughs> like, that would be kind of crazy back then, right? Like, it feels a little crazy right now, but back then? So anyway, Paul describes Ezekiel as witnessing a huge cloud of smoke filled with light and lightning, and this cloud descends from the sky, and he describes, Ezekiel describes metallic legs and something that appears to be thrusters and wheels that appear to make the vehicle move, and he describes a human-like being appearing from the craft, and he said the appearance was like that of a man. And he refers to it as Yahweh's habitation. So y'all, I think we can agree that Yahweh was an ET at this point. (laughs) And Ezekiel like went inside a UFO. This is exactly what is being described here. And in subsequent chapters, Ezekiel goes on to explain that he had multiple encounters and he was transported to multiple places. All the while, these human-like beings were communicating with him. Sound familiar? And It's worth noting here that a NASA engineer named Joseph Blumrich found an account of this in Eric Von Daniken's work and decided to disprove the theory of Ezekiel's chariots being spacecraft. I have his book here. I've read it. It's incredible. It's an incredible account and analysis of the book of Ezekiel, and long story short, Joseph Blumrich... Was proven wrong when he studied the texts. He studied the texts, he drew schematics of what he found in the texts as a NASA engineer, and he eventually changed his tune. And he agreed that the texts were describing flying objects that, that, you know, appeared to be pretty advanced technology for that day. And that, you know, our ancestors, as Michael Carter would say, our ancestors were just doing the best they could to describe what they were seeing with the words they had at the time. And, you know, one thing I appreciate about Paul's analysis and the study of these texts is that he still holds on to the idea of our true God being different from these stories of the powerful ones. He argues that we must separate our notions of God being like the depictions of the powerful ones in Genesis. If we confuse our God with the accounts of these early creation stories, we associate our God with horrible, violent, monstrous acts. And we create a foundation that justifies the worst and most monstrous behaviors of humans. And we create a framework that results in an everlasting generational trauma of having an abusive parent and an abusive beginning. And you know, it's my opinion now that this very foundation we have believed and created for ourselves explains a vast majority of the trauma that has ensued on earth. And, you know, after reading Paul's book and, you know, thoroughly enjoying his analysis, I'm left with this feeling that our human story has been traumatic you know, not only did we think that our God is this violent being who did these very violent things to us, but what's actually happened is we have chosen to suppress very big, very real events that resulted in a really difficult start for the human race. And we know now that anytime we suppress our shadow, we suppress trauma and we don't confront it face on. That causes all sorts of other problems. And, you know, it appears as though we have wrapped our origin stories up in mythologies and fantasies. So we wouldn't have to face our shadow. So we wouldn't have to acknowledge this very difficult, bumpy start for humanity and at the same time, we've confused our beginnings. As I said in my regression, you know, we've we've got a big misunderstanding on our hands. We have a big misunderstanding about our creators versus the creator. And both are true. And, you know, it's my belief and my hope that we can learn to integrate the two, that we can face our shadow, our our very early shadow as a humanity, that we can truly understand our origins from a different perspective, from an expanded perspective, and work to heal from what we've been through. You know, my teacher, Alberto Violdo, in The World of Shamanism, talks a lot about You know, one of our early wounds and traumas of being kicked out of the Garden of Eden. You know, no matter which way you look at that, whether that is this account of being kicked out of the Garden of Eden that was created for us by ETs or being kicked out of the Garden of Eden by God, both are a little traumatic. But in my mind, being kicked out of the Garden of Eden by God is a lot more traumatic than understanding that we did have some abusive parents to begin with, and that we need to heal from that. And when we can zoom out and understand our origins and our history in a different way, we can do that work to heal and take back our power. Because at the very core We feel a little powerless because of this history and because of how it is suppressed in our psyche and our consciousness. So, it's through work like what Paul is doing and what so many people are exploring and opening to these days that we can have a different dialogue about this, that we can start to peel back the layers of our story and recognize that our divinity is true, our spiritual nature is true, the creator of this universe is true, and that creator is benevolent. My understanding is that creator is benevolent and that this universe is programmed for our highest good. And we can also understand that there are a lot of other beings in this galaxy in this universe And there are a lot of different agendas and ways in which evolution and creation play out. And it does not have to be one or the other. It can be both. And that's, you know, a hard realization to open up to when we've had our our belief system really anchored to this one set of beliefs. But when we can start to see these commonalities among our world religions, among our early ancient texts, we can start to understand a different version of ourselves. We can start to embrace and embody a higher version of what's possible for ourselves as we move out of this traumatic past and as we face it and integrate it into our story, because it appears as though this is our true story. And, and that's okay. And it doesn't mean that any of our religions are wrong. They are all right in their own right. And the spiritual teachings that have come from our ET brothers and sisters are so beautiful and have, have supported us in so many ways. So while we you know, appear to have had this somewhat traumatic and violent start, we also had a lot of support and a lot of gains along the way from our other ET friends and family out there. So, so I'm just so appreciative of Paul and his work and how he has through his own experience and his own like religious evolution and his own spiritual evolution that he has come to form a very different set of beliefs, but a set of beliefs that can stand up to, I think, some of the the harshest critiques out there. Because again, as he says that the evidence and the coincidences just start to add up. And, and I think it's important that we're all, you know, open and curious and willing to change our minds when presented with new information. And, and I've been willing to change my mind when presented with new information. And, and I'm excited about how this information can change our, ability to navigate our future in different ways. So, so thank you, Paul Wallace for your work and for your continued leadership on this subject and in this field and for sharing your own personal experiences. It's our hope that we have Paul on the show at some point to, to ask him questions about his work and his own experiences. He is also an experiencer of ET contact which has led to his opening and exploration of some of these topics. So with that, we'll wrap up for today. Please drop a comment uh, about your thoughts and what you've learned about our origin stories and what you have questions about. Let us know what we can answer on the next episode. Let us know what we can ask Paul if we have him on the show, and we'll have some additional conversations about his other books. We're not going to stop here. This was just a teaser. This was just an introduction, because as you can tell, this is juicy, juicy information, and we want to go deeper. Sinead is in the process of reading his books as well so we'll follow this up with his book Scars from Eden and in that book he gets into a lot more of the indigenous origin stories and mythologies and ET contact stories that exist all over our planet. So I'm excited to have that conversation with Sinead and to to dig a little deeper in this topic. So we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening and watching. Don't forget to subscribe. If you're on YouTube, leave a comment, rate and review, and thank you so much for joining us on this fantastic spiritual and cosmic journey.